is Bloomberg Surveillance. The reorientation of the Chinese economy is one thing that's maybe helping demand growth globally. Most of what constitutes M&A advisors' work, the bread and butter, is actually selling companies. It's not buying companies. No matter what the Fed puts into action, it doesn't always accomplish its goals. So its actions should be looked at with something of a grain of salt. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene to be direct extra data checks today. A continuation of X number of days of sporting markets. Futures negative 10 right now out to weakness for the morning. I don't want to make too much of equity futures. Negative 13. Dow futures negative 97. But that vector's in the wrong direction. And that follows up with the bond yields moving ever lower. We had a, a calmness. Really over the last, not hour, but almost hour and a half. And we gotta watch it very carefully. That may be fading away as we go into the eight o'clock hour. We welcome all of you coast to coast across Canada and of course around the world. We, uh, as well. What do you see, Mike? We, we want to wish a happy 95th birthday to, uh, Prince Philip. Yes. With a, with a celebration, if that can be the right word at St. Paul's, uh, cathedral. He's an interesting worthy job s- title. He is the Queen's consort. I'm not sure how that goes on a business card, but well, I, I can't. I don't know if there's a royal business card. <laughs> Bloomberg surveillance this morning. Speaking of royalty, brought to you by Cone Resnick. Look ahead, gain insight, imagine more, get forward-thinking advice that can help turn business possibilities into business opportunities. Find out more at Cone Resnick. Dot com C O H N R E Z N I C K Conresnik dot com. Oil is a little fragile, but I would say Mike removed. So one thing that doesn't seem tumult. to be correlating yeah. to everything. Yeah. Someone to speak to about this uh, has years and years of expertise in hydrocarbons. Paul Sankey uh, joins us with Wolf Research uh, right now. Paul, I, I, I guess the number one question is if we're in, as John Sylvia mentioned, a growth trap, how does that play into oil? With the tumult in other markets, will it carry over into your world? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the most important thing is demand for oil. And if the economies uh, start to struggle or if anything goes wrong in the wider world, uh, it feeds through to demand and then... Uh, that has an, an you know direct impact. The the other thing, as you're aware, is that the dollar, 90% of the world's oil trade is in dollars, denominated in dollars. So whatever the dollar does relative to other currencies tends to feed through pretty much directly um, to the oil price. Although it has to be said recently, the dollar oil uh, link has broken mm-hmm. down a little bit um, over the past few weeks. This weekend, where are we in terms of supply dynamics? Canada's coming back, so I think the big shock this year was the wildfires in Canada. Uh, we lost over a million barrels a day of oil. If you think that global demand growth this year will be about a million and a half barrels a day, you get a sense uh, for what a big deal that was. Um, Nigeria has been the other big issue. There, basically, they pay the rebels not to destroy the infrastructure, and they stopped paying. So the rebels, uh, the government ran out of money and, and stopped paying. Now we think the government's going to renegotiate because it has to, but that's another significant issue. And the other big one, as you know, is uh, is the kind of ongoing tragedy in Venezuela, 
um, Libya. There's a good list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it, bad it list. sounds like you're re- reciting our list of bond market worries. Uh, if, if, uh, if some of those things turn around, um, and, uh, and Venezuela is probably not likely to change anytime soon, but um, Canada comes back, etc. Are we at risk of a price shock to the markets, a, a supply shock that would then affect prices uh, in a rapid manner? Mm, I, I don't think so. I mean, we, we don't see the market as uh, tightening rapidly at, at any time just because the inventory levels are so high. Um, is, the, is the potential for a downside shock to oil there? Um, if demand fails, yes. I mean, if we have a major, you know, I mean, the most dramatic instance, uh, obviously, was, was 9-11. I mean, 9-11, you lost 2% of world oil demand in two hours. That's what happens if you ground every plane in the U.S. Uh, and, of course, the global financial crisis would be another dramatic example of how things can change very quickly on the demand side. The supply side really doesn't have the capacity to force the price down uh, rapidly. You know, it will, it will happen over time, but... Uh, I don't see a downside shock here, actually. I think that we're just going to – our general view is that the price is going to be under – in a range, basically, of, let's say, at the moment, around 50 bucks. You know, I mean, that feels like where we where we sit for summer. Yeah, at that price, what does it mean for oil companies? Does it incent anybody? Does it just keep them sort of treading water? What does it mean? Yeah, you're implying a, an excellent point, which is everyone's questioning the price at which U.S. Uh, unconventional players put rigs back to work. And the answer, of course, the, the, the beauty of the oil price is, is it's uh, so liquid and tends to find almost perfect levels. And, of course, the price at which you trigger rigs going back to work is above 50. So we're right at the level uh, where they would consider adding rigs. And in fact, the rig count has kind of stabilized now. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. If we were to go to 55 or 60, they would definitely start to uh, re- resume a, a, growth, uh, a growth trajectory in the U.S. The issue, though, and again, this is why we think we stay around 50, is they're also keen to hedge forward to protect their balance sheets. And um, that, that has made the curve for all the future strippers very, very flat. One thing we're looking for is, are we going to break out into backwardation? When you flip, that's the signal that the market struck. What does that mean? That was, that was our, our jargon moment for Friday. What do you mean by right. what you just said on backwardation? Well, um, you, you can trade, you trade oil on the NYMEX futures, so you can, you can trade the price in the future. If the price uh, today, uh, current prices, uh, below the future price, you're in contango, which means the, obviously that you're implying the price in the future will be higher. And then backwardation is, is the opposite. So the current price is higher uh, than the future price. In the $100 period from you know, 2010 to 2014, we were in backwardation. So the price was implicitly going to fall in the future. Right. And then we flipped at the end of 14 into contango, uh, the opposite. And now we've flattened to just literally flat. <laughs> so the, future, right. the price for delivery today is 50, right. and the price for delivery in 2020 is 50. Yeah. Mike, jump in here. I want now, to date. Oh, let me do – oh, go ahead. Please, Paul. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Continue, please. No, I was just going to say that when, when, the, when the market changes structure, when it goes from contango to backwardation, vice versa, it's a, a strong signal that, that fundamentals have changed. Right. And we haven't quite made it. <laughs> We've nearly made we're it. We're not there yet. Quite. 
Brilliantly explained. Woman. Really nice. Real, brilliantly explained. Let me do a data check here, Mike, uh, because we do have markets moving. New lows on futures, negative 13. Dow futures, negative 100. Saw negative 102 moments ago. The 10-year yield is right on day lows, four digits, 1.6524. Trying to find a new low yield. We're not there yet. We may get it momentarily. The 10-year in Germany to three digits, 0.0. Two eight again, very near uh, record lows there. Swiss twenty year bounces uh, this morning, and uh, Japanese yen, Mike one hundred six eighty five, weaker Japanese yen this morning. We were talking, uh, Paul, about um, the you know how uh, we've seen these correlations come and go in the various markets, and I'm wondering where we are with the dollar and oil um, at this point. The dollar. Seems to be strengthening a little this morning, but it wasn't moving much, even though there's been this big move into treasuries over the last week. So what about on the oil side? Well, I mean, you know, the trend is your friend until it ends. And, uh, we've, we've had a 0.9 correlation of oil prices in the dollar over, let's say, the past two or three years. And in the past two or three, maybe four or five weeks, it's broken down completely. I think that's because of the outages. So, there's been some very strong uh, fundamental shifts in dollar dynamics, and there's been some very strong fundamental shifts in oil dynamics that are relatively short term because we are expecting the Canadian production outages to resume. Um, but I think essentially what we've had is a, is a significant breakdown. It, the, what, the big question is, is the petrodollar going to break down? So in the future, will, let's say, China pay in yuan, or most importantly, would the Saudis devalue the real? And that would be a very big deal, obviously, to break that. I was talking to the global head of trading, oil trading at a major oil company uh, this week, and he doesn't think it'll happen just because the oil industry is so enormous. It's the most traded commodity in the world. It's not really in anyone's interest to break the link yeah. because it just would cause so much disruption. Mm-hmm. And, and China's attempt to, to launch a, a benchmark on Shanghai, a crude benchmark right. of their own, I, I understand hasn't done well. Well, so, you know, that's one yeah. of the big questions. But Well, there's wisdom there. Paul Sankey's going to come back with us on oil. Mike, I would suggest it's been 42 times in counting that you and I have heard about the end of the dollar as a reserve currency. I think it's been that's 42 times. Yeah, that we've, we've heard that. So I can understand the skepticism about moving off a dollar-based uh, petroleum uh, market. The yield, 1.6524. Low yields for the session on the U.S. tenure. Time now to check in with Bob Moon and get the latest world and national headlines, Bob. Good morning. From thousands of miles away, they have gathered to bid a final farewell to Muhammad Ali in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. Ali's body will ride in a miles-long procession from his boyhood home along the boulevard that bears his name to a memorial service in the city's biggest arena. The White House has decided it's time to turn up the heat on resurgent Taliban fighters. Senior U.S. and defense officials say plans have been approved to expand the military's authority to conduct airstrikes against the Taliban when needed to better assist Afghan forces. Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Clinton are meeting privately this morning. According to a knowledgeable Democratic strategist, the sit-down is fueling speculation about Warren's prospects as a potential vice presidential pick. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Bob Moon, Mike and Tom. Bob, thanks so much. Futures negative 13, Dow futures negative 93. That yield again, 1.65%. German tenure, 
2.28%. Michael McKee and Tom Keeman, Paul Sankey of Wolf on oil and gas, Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, we are watching bond yields fall, fall, fall. Kathy Jones of Schwab, Chief Fixed Income Strategist. What happens next? Where do you put your cash? Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Futures moving lower this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. U.S. futures remain under pressure amid global stock weakness. The Japanese 10 yield fell to a record minus 0.15%. Dow futures currently lower by 94 points. S&P futures dropped 12 and NASDAQ futures declined by 30. The U.S. 10 yield falls to 1.65%. Main European markets are also lower. Germany, Spain, and Italy each drop at least 2%. And the Bank of Russia cut its key rate for the first time since July. On the U.S. economic front at 10 o'clock, Michigan sentiment estimate 94 and a 2 p.m. monthly budget statement. After the Bellis night, Applied Materials announced a $2 billion buyback. H&R Block Q4 revenue beat, boosted its dividend by 10%, and matches firm cut your EPS and revenue views. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Dynagy cut to neutral versus buy over at Citigroup. Joy Global upgraded to outperform at FBR. Avi cut to market perform at BMO. And Cliffs Natural raised to outperform at Macquarie. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? Thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this Friday morning brought to you by Invesco. Looking for investment views. Invesco's high conviction portfolio managers are just a click away. Go to Invesco.com slash U.S. to subscribe to the Invesco blog and follow at Invesco U.S. On Twitter, Michael McKee and Tom Keene, we're doing extra data checks as we need to. Uh, a little better constructive tone of the tape uh, in the last hour, except equity futures negative 13, Dow futures negative 97. Paul Sinke with us with Wolf Research on Oil and Gas. Paul, what's a geopolitical risk in oil right now? It used to be 13 or 70, $17 a barrel at Deutsche Bank. You'd come up with these kind of statistics. Does that still matter? Is there, is there a price of geopolitics in oil? How much spare capacity there is and how much the market is pricing risk in inventory. So there's two types of inventory. One is simply the overhang of stuff you can't sell, which forces the price down. The other is the hoarding that you do before a hurricane, the inventory that you build when you think uh, it's all going to go horribly wrong. So you buy more milk, even though you've got milk, and even though the price is high. And the flip occurs when spare capacity gets very low. Spare capacity is getting low. <laughs> There's probably some spare capacity in Saudi, but we don't really, and, and UAE, but we don't really consider the Nigerian, the Venezuelan uh, to be, um, you know, stuff that we can rely on, obviously. Uh, I don't think there's a huge price in that. I mean, we talked about uh, we talked about the future strip being very flat. Uh, the thing to remember about the future strip is it's priced nominally, so it's dollars of today, and there may be not a risk price, but additionally a deflation price or a stronger dollar price in that flat curve. Overall, we would argue probably that there there isn't sufficient risk. 
in the, in the price if you think demand's going to be okay. But of course, mm-hmm. if demand starts falling, effectively you start adding spare capacity. So maybe that although the market obviously realizes there's gigantic geopolitical risks in the world right now, uh, that it's more concerned about the economic outlook. And from listening to you guys, frankly, I think that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> We're concerned about it. Uh, right, uh, everyone is. And, you know, my line is this is the most hated bull market in history, right? We all think it's going to end horribly somehow. And, you know, as a result, people are not pricing in much higher oil prices in the future. Maybe that's what it is. What about uh, OPEC? There was a flurry of interest in the possible deal at the meeting in June. They don't meet again until November, but um, are they ever going to reach any kind of agreement to cut back on production or to even pretend they are? Well, the biggest, uh, you know, I've had five huge shifts in my 25-year career, and, and this latest one Saudi is unquestionably one of the biggest. The shift, as you know, is the emergence of a deputy crown prince who's a 30-year-old who suddenly started setting oil policy uh, very, very uh, negatively in terms of uh, agreements at Doha earlier this year. And then the new oil minister, energy minister, in fact, was Saudi energy minister, was really conciliatory at the latest OPEC meeting. But you can't get around the fact that they still have a huge – Saudi has a huge issue with Iran – and is unlikely to do anything. I think really what the, the new energy minister in Saudi was saying is we're not going to add a whole lot more oil, which was a major concern for the market, but also we're not going to do any deals with Iran. So the, the net result of the latest OPEC meeting, I think, was, was somewhat more bullish than we had anticipated, simply because the, 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 the Saudis we had worried would actually add a whole lot more oil into the market. It doesn't seem like they'll do that. Is OPEC dead? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not, not relevant any longer. And as you know, the reality is that the marginal barrel, the, 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 the guy who makes the marginal decision about how much or less oil there's going to be is now in Midland, Texas. So what does that do to non-Saudi members of OPEC, the uh, cutters and places like Nigeria. that? Nigeria. It's not good because basically another issue is I've got contacts at the State Department who told me the U.S. no longer really has to get involved in Venezuela, Nigeria, or uh, Iraq, or Syria. That is visible. I mean, I don't think people fully appreciate this, but we're just not engaged. And as a result, honestly, they just melt. You know, I mean, as you can see in Venezuela, these places just melt down. So, you know, it's tough. It's called the curse of oil. Discovering oil in an emerging market is not good because it totally distorts your economy and corrupts your economy. And it's going to be a tough ride for some of these countries. Mm-hmm. I really believe so. Paul, thank you so much. Extremely valuable. Paul Sankey with Wolf Research this morning. I uh, didn't get to Nigeria there, uh, Mike, but that is something this week to see. Um, earlier in the week, the challenges in southern Niger. Yeah. The um, the drumbeat of uh, concern about uh, the bond market yeah. continues to heat up. Yesterday, of course, we had Bill Gross with his supernova comment. Today, Francisco Garzarelli over at Goldman. Uh, suggesting that there is a good chance for a possibly rapid jump in yields in the second half of the year. People are not paying attention to tail risk, is his warning. So um, uh, it's something we got to – everybody's got to keep an eye on here. And uh, people – the pros are getting very nervous about what they're seeing. Yeah, they are. And, and you see it on the tape. And, again, we'll do d- d- uh, uh, multiple data checks uh, today. All, and, and, again, I can't convey enough – how if I turn away from the screen and look at the beverage of my choice uh, here this morning and I look back, something changed. U.S. 10-year does better in the last couple of minutes, higher yield off of the low for the day. But with that said, German 10-year goes down to three digits, 0.029. 
So it is very just fluid. teasing you. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it, will it get there before Friday's over? Yeah, it, it's, it, it keeps us entertained. Futures negative 13, Dow futures negative 100. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond.